So the first reason that I like the taxable investment account is that it's totally unconstrained with regards to adding or removing funds. So the 401k, the HSA, the Roth IRA, these have limits. How much you can earn before you contribute, how much per year you can contribute. This type of account, the taxable investment account has no limits and no constraints. You can put in as much as you want, $100,000 a year, a million dollars a year, $10 million a year. There's no limits. And you can immediately take all of that money out without any penalties. This is not true of those retirement accounts, which I just mentioned. So for flexibility, it's really, really valuable. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of APM Success. Very pleased to be coming to you today with a solo episode. If you missed last week's episode, the conversation that I had with Dr. Mo Azam was, I think, one of the one of the more important ones that I've had in the history of this podcast. There is a really significant sea change happening as it relates to legislation impacting the specialty of anesthesiology and the way that insurance companies are reacting and what it means for contracts from payers. And as a result, anesthesia revenue and profits and compensation and the the whole trickle down. So if you missed last week's episode, would highly recommend that you check it out. In addition, there was some visual content. So seeing that on the YouTube channel may be helpful. So you can check it out there. If you go to apmsuccess.com slash 126V as in video, that will take you straight to the the YouTube channel in that episode. One additional announcement, if you missed episode 125, my conversation with Dr. Brian Cohen, any of the episodes coming out in the future are now going to have CME attached to them, provided in partnership with AdaptTrack. So if you go to the show notes, apmsuccess.com slash, then the episode number, you'll see a URL there. You can create an AdaptTrack account and begin to capture CME for listening to these podcast episodes if you want to. So hopefully that will be an opportunity of which you can avail yourself if you're in the market for trying to get some of those CME credits. Now on to today's topic. As so often happens, I was having a conversation with a client the other day and we were talking about saving for financial independence and what are the options for people who are saving a significant amount of money? And before I get down into the weeds, let me make this brief disclaimer. Today, we're going to talk about cash flow and investments. I'm not going to be making any specific recommendations, but I obviously want you to be working in conjunction with a financial planner who understands your specific circumstances before making any decisions as it relates to your investments or financial well-being. So nothing that follows is advice. It's for informational purposes only. When I'm working with my clients, I generally tell them, if you're serious about financial independence and you want to pursue it aggressively, having something in the 30 plus percent savings rate is going to move you quickly towards that goal. And there's a some content I've done in the past about having a tax-optimized savings hierarchy, which we will link to in the show notes. Episode 72B 
prior APM Success podcast, where I talk about all the different options, how do you move towards financial independence, and what are all of the arrows in your quiver that you should consider? How do you take advantage of all of those? Today, we're going to talk about one specific arrow, and that is the taxable investment account. So as I mentioned, I was having this conversation the other day. We're talking about tax advantage savings, meaning HSA, 401k, 403b, 457, things like that. In this particular instance, it was a dual income household that expects between six dollars and $700,000 of W-2 income in the coming year from two earners. And they were asking, you know, what should we be doing? What should we be thinking about as we have a transition in income? We're making a lot more money now and we want to be making progress intelligently towards financial independence. If they like this 30% threshold and they're making $600,000, you know, just to round it to one third of their gross income, what should they be doing? This was the question that they posed. So if the living expenses in this circumstance are say $15,000 a month or about 180 grand a year, if they live in, for example, Dallas, Texas, Texas is a pretty friendly geography as it relates to taxes because there's no state income tax. That's going to be another 160 grand of taxes. Maybe they're giving away a portion of their income to support charitable causes that are important to them. So that's another 10%. What that means is $400,000 of the 600 is committed to living expenses, taxes, and charity. That leaves about $200,000 left over. And... The question then is, if I've got $200,000 that I want to deploy in the direction of wealth building, how can I do that most intelligently? And obviously, there's a lot of different permutations based on specific goals and specific a specific vision for the future that someone might have. But to to speak in broad terms for a minute, in this two-earner household, you very quickly get to the end of your tax-advantaged savings opportunities. If you're on a high-deductible health plan, that's probably the first place you should max out. That's maybe just over $7,000 a year. Two 401ks or 403bs, as the case may be, are also going to be accessible for two W-2 earners. In the the year 2022, that limit is getting raised a little bit to $20,500. So if we take the HSA plus two 401ks, that's $41,000 for the 401ks plus another seven, call it forty-eight total tax-advantaged savings. And these are all contributions that are going to reduce gross income. So if you're you know, making 600 grand plus, you're probably going to be pretty interested in saving in a way that's going to reduce your taxable income. So if you do this, you max out these accounts. We just took 48 grand off the top. In addition, maybe you might be interested in the backdoor Roth IRA, which at the current time at the recording of this episode, which is the end of just just before Christmas, the end of December 2021, it looks like Congress is not going to eliminate the backdoor Roth as it seemed that they were earlier in December because this is part of the Build Back Better plan. But at the current time, Mr. Manchin from West Virginia seems to be putting the kibosh on that. So if the backdoor Roth remains available into 2022, that's another 12 grand for 6,000 plus 6,000 on the Roth IRA contributions. So we're now at 60,000 between two 401ks, two backdoor Roths, and an HSA that's $60,000 of tax-advantaged savings. So now the question is, okay, I wanted to save $200,000 or deploy 200K in the direction of wealth building. I've maxed out every tax-advantaged thing available to me. 
and I've only gotten through 60,000. That leaves me with 140 grand. What now should I do with 140 grand? And I'm setting aside for a moment, saving for the kids. So depending care FSA or a 529 for education savings, we'll, we'll set those aside for a moment. And for someone who wants to save 140 grand after they've already maxed out all their tax advantaged opportunities, what kinds of things should you be considering? Well, first, we want to make sure that if we look at your balance sheet, the, the summary of all the assets that you own and all the debts that you owe, that you don't have anything high interest on the debt side or anything else that needs to be paid off, should be paid off in the short term. Credit card debt, anything else that's you know going to be costing you a lot of money as you carry it. Student loan, some student loans perhaps. If you have nothing like that, then we're going to be taking this 140 and adding it to the asset side. And so this could be really anything. We could be talking about cryptocurrency. We could be talking about real estate syndications or an actual pro an investment property or investing in a closely held business that could be yours or a venture with someone else. Or what we're going to look at closely today is the taxable investment account. So if you've got 140 grand per year, this is about $12,000 a month into a taxable investment account. And I want to talk a little bit today about what is a taxable investment account and why is it a very powerful tool for a high earning household to move towards financial independence? Why is it helpful for flexibility in building wealth and keeping your options open? And how can it be best utilized to keep your taxes down as you go? Even though it is, as we call it, a taxable account, it doesn't have any inherent tax advantages, but if you utilize it properly, it can have a lot of, it can give you a lot of help in terms of keeping your tax bill down, but you've got to use it the right way. So the first reason that I like the taxable investment account is that it's totally unconstrained with regards to adding or removing funds. So the 401k, the HSA, the Roth IRA, these have limits, how much you can earn before you contribute, how much per year you can contribute. This type of account, the taxable investment account has no limits and no constraints. You can put in as much as you want, $100,000 a year, a million dollars a year, $10 million a year, there's no limits. And you can immediately take all of that money out without any penalties. This is not true of those retirement accounts, which I just mentioned. So for flexibility, it's really, really valuable. The reason that it's called a taxable investment account is because it provides same year tax impact. So anytime you realize a gain, that gain becomes taxable for this year, the year in which the gain is realized. If you realize a loss, that loss becomes part of this year's taxes as well. So when I say realize a gain, what do I mean? If we buy a $10,000 worth of Tesla stock, for example, which I don't necessarily recommend, but if you wanted to do that, and then the Tesla stock goes from 10,000 to 100,000, you now have $10,000 of basis. That's what you put in to buy the stock initially. And then you have $90,000 of an unrealized gain. So it's a what we'd call a paper gain. It's not yours yet because it's still in the stock. But whenever you sell that stock, you take that $100,000 position and you turn it into cash, you've just turned that $90,000 unrealized gain into a realized gain. That is the point at which this gain becomes taxable. 
Now, if this gain is in a Roth IRA, which is a tax-free account, then that $90,000 gain will never be paid taxes on. If it's in an IRA or a 401k or a 403b, then you're not going to pay taxes on it until you start to take the money out in retirement. But if this $90,000 gain is in a taxable account, the account we're talking about today, then that $90,000 becomes taxable right now. And when I file taxes in the following April, I'm going to need to reckon <laughs> with Uncle Sam for that gain. So in, the, in this example, it becomes necessary to understand a little bit about how realized gains work. Because navigating realized gains intelligently is going to be a big part of how you're going to keep your taxes down or create losses that can then be used to offset your income and investment gains. When you have this unrealized gain, when, whenever you buy Tesla, say you buy it on January 1st of this year of 2022, if you want to have favorable tax treatment, you need to hold that Tesla stock until January 1st of 2023. So you need to hold it for one whole year. If you hold it for less than a year, that gain is going to be taxed at the same rate as your paycheck, what's known as the ordinary income rate. So if I buy Tesla on January 1st and I sell it on February 1st because it just went up 900%, then I lock in that $90,000 gain, but that $90,000 gain is going to be taxed. In my case, if I'm a $600,000 household, it's going to be taxed at the top margin of 37%. So I'm really only keeping, you know, 55 cents on the dollar, depending on what state you live in and, and all of that in terms of the, the tax treatment. And if you hold it until you're at the long-term threshold, the 366th day where you sell it on January 2nd of 2023, you're now going to qualify for a long-term capital gains treatment, which is preferred and much lower. So if you're using a taxable account, you need to be aware of this difference between what's called a short-term capital gain, which is anything less than a year, and a long-term capital gain, which is anything more than a year. The long-term capital gain rates right now are going to vary based on your income, but for the type of household we're talking about, 20% is what you can expect. So it's 20% versus 37% at the top margin for your ordinary income. So there's a lot at stake. I mean, we're talking about a almost 50% differential in tax bill. So it's important to understand this dynamic that if you're investing in this type of account, buying and holding for at least a year is going to give you the most favorable type of tax treatment. So in addition to the holding period, what are some other important things to think about when you're investing in this taxable account with this extra $12,000 a month that you want to use to build wealth? One of them is what type of vehicle, what type of investment product am I investing in? Specifically to take just a broad example, what is the difference between a mutual fund versus an ETF? Now, this is a little bit of a complicated topic, but at a high level, an ETF is more tax efficient. It doesn't create taxable gain distributions. If you hold a if you hold a mutual fund, the mutual fund periodically, either quarterly or annually, is going to kick out taxable activity from the fund level to the individual holders of a mutual fund. Meaning if I bought that same $10,000 investment and I bought a mutual fund and I didn't sell anything. And 
after a year, maybe the fund has gone up a little bit, but at the fund level itself, that fund is buying and selling, and they are incurring taxable activity at the fund level. I, the investor, did not buy or sell, but the fund did. Because of that taxable activity created by the fund, they then have to take the tax bill generated by that activity and pass it along to any of the holders of the mutual fund. And that means you're going to have some fractional share of that $10,000 position that's going to, you're going to have a little bit of a tax bill associated with that. An ETF does not have the same dynamic. It's, it's much cleaner from a tax standpoint and that pass-through effect does not occur on an ETF. So if you're in a taxable account, understanding that a mutual fund and an ETF have different tax treatment as it relates to management at the investment level, you're better off, all things being equal, holding an ETF rather than a mutual fund. One additional dynamic to be aware of is whenever you're recalibrating your investments, sometimes you want to sell something and buy something else. Whenever you're doing that, if you're selling something that is at a gain, as I mentioned before, that creates this IOU with the IRS in the following April. However, you have an opportunity to offset that IOU by also doing what's called tax loss harvesting. What this, if we take the inverse example, we buy that $10,000 share of Tesla stock, and instead of going to 100,000, maybe it goes to 4,000. So we have a $6,000 unrealized loss. It's unrealized because we haven't yet sold it, but as soon as we turn that $4,000 Tesla stock into $4,000 of cash, we realize the loss and we lock it in for tax purposes. What that means is we now have $6,000 of realized investment loss that we can use to offset $6,000 of gains. So if we've got a $90,000 gain floating out there and then we lock in $6,000 of losses, we now only have to pay taxes on $84,000 of gains. So being aware of this dynamic can help you on an ongoing basis keep your tax bill as low as possible whenever you're adding new money or whenever you're rebalancing or changing your investments in a taxable investment account. This is obviously something that a good financial advisor, a good asset manager would help you to do just in the background. So you wouldn't it wouldn't be as labor intensive as what I'm describing. These are a couple of the important dynamics to be aware of that, you know, this, this tax loss harvesting that I described, it's a way to be able to monetize a market sell-off. Because what happens if we take it at the sort of the account level, say I have a taxable account that's worth a million dollars. Maybe I'm very aggressively invested. I'm 40 years old. I don't need this money for another 25 years or more. And so I have an, a stock-centric investment allocation. So my million bucks, if there's a big stock market sell-off, maybe it goes down to $500,000. What I can then do is sell some or all of the securities in this account, in so doing, locking in a $500,000 loss, and essentially buy substantively similar securities. This is a tax loss harvesting technique that allows you to not miss out on what's happening in the stock market, you need to actually wait 30 days when you place this sale to buy back the original holding. This is what's called the wash sale rule. So on that, if we say, just to take Tesla, for example, if I've got a million dollars of Tesla stock, it goes down to half a million, I think, well, this is terrible because I lost half a million dollars, but at least I can lock in this loss and use it to offset investment gains. If I 
sell Tesla at 11 a.m. and I buy it back at noon, what I have done is I've violated the wash sale rule, which says I need to not hold the security for 30 days in order to lock in the capital loss. So again, this is a little bit in the weeds, but the point is being aware of this wash sale rule and navigating around it to make sure that you lock in this loss is an important thing to be able to do. Whenever you lock in that half a million dollar loss, you can then have what's called a capital loss carry forward. So this is, there's a line on your tax return that says, what are my current locked in, but not yet utilized capital losses? And that's a number that you're gonna carry forward each year. So that if next year I have a great year in the stock market and I make a quarter million dollars, that quarter million, if it's a realized gain, will be taxable to me. But if I've got a half a million of banked capital losses, then I can offset that 250K gain with $250,000 of banked capital loss. That then reduces the value of the banked losses from 500,000 to 250, and I pay no taxes. So the taxable investment account is the only place where this can live, this type of mechanism to offset future gains. The 401k, the Roth IRA, the, 4, the 457, 403b, none of those have this mechanism because they're not taxable. None of the activity that happens in them is taxable activity. This is one of the benefits of being able to use effectively this taxable investment account. Another reason, aside from sort of the tax stuff for a minute, another reason that taxable investment accounts are nice and that it makes sense to, if you have a bunch of free cash flow, to use them as a chassis to plow a bunch of money into to build wealth is because you can take the money out whenever for whatever <laughs> at will. You can put it in, take it out, put it in, etc. If you, you know, you're saving and then your kids want to buy a house, you can make a big withdrawal and give them money for a down payment. If you want to invest in a business, if you want to buy a vacation home, this account is fair game to access your money at any time for any purpose. Now, you're going to have to navigate around tax considerations. So if you've got a million dollars of basis and then your account grows to $3 million or $5 million, and you want to go and then trade that $5 million taxable account for a $5 million vacation home, well, that's great, except whenever you sell the $5 million, you now have a tax bill on $4 million of gains, which if it's long-term capital gain, 20%, $4,800,000 $800, $800, of taxes that you're going to owe. So you got to be aware of that dynamic. But you do have the ability to, you know, get your money when you want or need. This can also be really powerful when you use this type of account in conjunction with some more advanced gifting strategies. So for example, there's an account, which I've talked about in the past, called a donor advised fund. This is essentially, think of it as a family foundation with very, very low administrative fees. This would allow you to gift what we call appreciated securities. So if we have that Tesla stock, you buy $10,000 of Tesla, it goes to $100,000, and you wanna give away some of that Tesla. Maybe you're not sure where you want it to go, but you know that you wanna make a taxable, a, a tax-deductible charitable contribution this tax year. And right now it's you know December 20th and you wanna do something before the end of the year. You don't know where you want it to go, but you wanna do it right now to make sure that it benefits you this year because of your income. 
you can actually gift a portion of those Tesla shares into this account called a donor advised fund, which will then enable you to, for charitable purposes, make a completed gift in the eyes of the IRS. And then you have this account balance in the donor advised fund, which can be distributed. You can cut checks out of that account in the future whenever you want to, as you find charities that you want to support, or you know, you can you can have some sort of structured giving strategy attached to that. This is especially valuable when you couple this taxable account type with what's called a direct indexing strategy. Now we're getting very specific. And again, I don't recommend that anybody just walks out there and does this themselves, but essentially what you can do if you have enough money and we're talking probably at this point, I haven't seen a great solution that I really like with less than 250 or $500,000. But essentially what you do is you pay a manager, an asset manager to replicate an index. For example, the S&P 500. You put $500,000 in an account. You say, hey, manager, replicate the S&P 500 for me. So instead of just buying SPY or IVV, which are two ETFs, that's one way that you could replicate the S&P 500. Now, instead, this manager is going to go and they're going to buy some portion of all of the 508 companies that are listed on the S&P. So as a result, you don't hold one ticker with one security, you hold 508 tickers. So as the year passes, think about what's going to happen. Some of them are going to go way up. Some of them are going to go way down. And this creates opportunity to capture this activity in a taxably advantageous way especially if you're charitably inclined, because what are you going to do with the stocks that go up? After you hold them for a year, you can give them to this donor advised fund. Maybe I, one of the positions was a thousand dollar position in Apple and Apple's at three grand. I can give away that $3,000 position. And that position only cost me 1000 at the beginning. And I'm actually also giving away $2,000 worth of taxable gains. So I'm not claiming that gain. I'm not paying taxes on it. I'm giving it to a 501c3 nonprofit that is not going to pay taxes on it. So I'm removing taxable gain from my estate. At the same time, I can take the downside securities. Even in a great stock market year, some stocks are going to be at a loss. I can sell those. If something is down 50%, I sell that, sell that security, capture that loss and I either use it to offset investment gains this year, or I put it in the bank and I save it for the future whenever I'm going to be realizing other capital gains. So this direct indexing strategy allows you to, at a very granular level, take advantage of what's going on in the stock market. This direct indexing is most advantageous in a taxable investment account. Because again, in a 401k, in an IRA, in a Roth IRA, this type of strategy wouldn't have, you wouldn't have the ability to gift appreciated securities. You wouldn't have the ability to tax loss harvest. Only in the taxable investment account can these things happen. One final thing, and by the way, there are more sophisticated strategies that you can pursue in the taxable investment accounts. But, you know, at a high level, this is where tax planning, tax savvy investing gets very, very important. You can do whatever you want to in an IRA, <laughs> buy, sell, wheeling and dealing. You're not going to generate a tax bill for yourself until you pull that money out. But in a taxable investment account, you need to be intentional and intelligent in the way that you're transacting because every transaction has tax potential embedded in it. The final thing, the final significant benefit that I want to touch on as it relates to taxable investments is this is a great account type to give your heirs. At the current time, 
there's what's called a basis step up at your death. So if you want to leave your kids money, and again, you've already maxed out all the pre-tax buckets, one of the things you can consider is using a taxable investment account to be a part of the solution. Because what happens is if we take that example about the vacation home <laughs> for, for a minute, where you've got a million dollars worth of securities that have appreciated over time through market growth to 5 million, you've got $4 million of embedded gains. If you sold that entire account, you're going to pay taxes on that $4 million of gains. However, if you wait until you pass away and leave that money to your kids, and if you have other purchases that need to happen, fund them from other sources. And there's some creative things you can do there with you know using asset-backed lending and things like that. If you gift this or bequeath this asset, this taxable investment account to your kids, so you got two kids, instead of them receiving $2 million each of taxable gains, they're going to receive a basis step up. So that $4,000 of gains disappears. And in the eyes of the IRS, it's $5 million at $0 of gains. So each of your kids gets 2.5 million that they can then liquidate with little tax impact, if any. So, I mean, it's a separate conversation whether or not your kids deserve the 5 million, obviously, and maybe you should buy the vacation home. But there's this really valuable mechanism as it relates to estate planning, if you can maintain these unrealized gains and not realize them during your life, then your kids will, or whoever receives these assets at your death, will not have to deal with the tax bill associated with them. So I've thrown a lot at you. The point is a taxable investment account can be a really powerful vehicle. It's not just a, you know, a plain boring sort of vanilla type of opportunity. There's actually a lot of interesting things you can do. And as your balances increase, other types of investment approaches open up to you. And some of these advanced gifting and other investment strategies can be significantly additive to your tax and investment picture. So if you are getting a big bonus, if you have strong monthly cash flows, if you're sitting on half a million dollars in cash and wondering what to do with it, <laughs> I'm talking to you consider a taxable investment account. If you use these wisely, they can be an immense asset. So that's all I've got for this week. Thanks as always for tuning in and looking forward to getting back on a weekly release schedule here in 2022. Thanks. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.